Welcome to The Bear and the Bull. I'm your host, Nick Webster, and today on the show we have a very special guest. A man with a resume that really stands up to anybody in the country. He's been the head coach of Cal Lutheran for both the men and the women. The women at Pepperdine, the head men's coach at UC Irvine, and now the head men's coach at Cal State Fullerton. Seven NCAA tournament appearances, seven Big West championship titles. He's been coach of the year multiple times. For the bear and the ball, welcome to George Kunz. George, how are you? I'm well, Nick. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for the, it's a very nice intro. I'm just wondering how you managed to fit it all on one page. Uh, well, to be honest, I feel like I'm just getting started. <laughs> It's uh, it's a new it's a new year every year. So I I uh, I'm very honored to to be on the podcast with you as well. I've known you for years and enjoyed your work all the way back to Fox and Cal South. Thank you, George. So let's let's start at the beginning. Why did you become a coach? You know, it's it's a good question. People, some people might still question if I am a coach. I'm doing what I love. I, I'm a I'm a passionate person. Uh, my father got was was uh, a former pro player. Uh, took us to the World Cup in 1970. Up until that time, we were playing for fun, and you know, fun meaning just he created a league in our area in Arizona. He created you know uh, just out of a YMCA, so it was really a rec league, and. It grew very quickly, and it, it, it turned into a club. He he started taking us to big events, and he drove us, which I don't think you 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 probably would want to do now, from Phoenix, Arizona, to Mexico City as a family. So four kids in the back of a truck. <laughs> it did have a camper, <laughs> and we drove. And he took. I ended up at the game, the final between Brazil and Italy in 1970. Um, before that, I was. You know, playing all sports. Of course, I was playing football, soccer, um, but you know, it was it was all just for fun. And after that game, I became uh, really passionate about football, soccer, and um, Pele was everywhere. Was on my wall. I put posters of him. He became my idol. Uh, took down pictures of football players and all the other thing, and, and then I just started watching. The Pepsi Cola films, as we all saw back in those days, and over and over, and um, really just tried to to be the best player I could be, and and that's and, and ended up, you know, playing for a long time. Had several knee injuries, um, and uh, I was talked into. I, I really walked away from soccer, football, um, and I was talked into coaching a team in a club. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I had stopped for a couple of months because I had a knee injury, and they told me really shouldn't even play again. And I was so distraught, so devastated that I didn't want to see anything or be be around the game. And uh, they talked me into going out to coach. Ended up coaching a youth team, really enjoyed it, um, and coached these boys, uh, a group of boys, for really seven years, six, seven years. A couple of them went to a higher level, but I still stay in touch with those four kids that I used to drive to the field because they came from broken homes. 
Uh, one became a national champion at Yavapai, the first goal ever, first game-winning goal ever scored at Yavapai College, which won a numerous championships. And um, gosh, from there, I, I, I took, I got offered a college job at Cal Lutheran University for two twenty-five hundred dollars a year before taxes. And and I did it just, you know, just to see how it would go. And, and the AD came to me afterwards and said, I really enjoy your work. And would you sign on for another year? And I'll help pay for your master's and I'll give you a job. And that was it. That was the end of it. I, I just jumped right in, finished my master's, and I've been coaching ever since. Well, yeah, I know. Cal Lutheran, I, I was at Occidental for a year. That was, I think, one of my first coaching jobs. And uh, I think we got to play against each other back in 1989. And uh, I'm pretty sure you won as well. So I <laughs> always had the the, uh, the the winning Midas touch. Um, so you, you started the uh, the women's program at Cal Lutheran. Describe a little bit what it's like to start a program from scratch when there's nothing to build on. There's no foundation and you and you have to just create it kind of out, out of thin air. How, how do you go about doing that? You know, that's, that's also another good question. And I had only coached girls at camps. I had never coached a girl. Well, I had been involved helping as an assistant, but I had never taken on a girl's um, a whole gr- building a girl's program. Um, and so it was very new to me um, and, and new to me building a college program because they had just built the men's program and, or, or rebuilt it. So starting the women's program from scratch, basically putting up posters. I don't know if you remember the Uncle Sam, we want you. I literally put pictures of Uncle Sam, we want you to play women's soccer around Kowloon. So I had people trying out that just, you know, had played for fun. I did recruit. And at that time, Nick, there was no Title IX. So I ended up getting some really good football players I, got, I was able to get players that probably would have gotten Division One or Division Two, um, you know, later. But Title IX had not taken effect, and I was able to get some really good players from some top girls teams. And we went from five and twelve the second year to twelve and five, and and started winning. And um, what's unusual is the athletic director. So we built it from scratch and. Just, you know, bad news bears at the beginning. Um, and we started getting, uh, we, we'd get a core of players that really we built around. And after, you know, after a few years, we became top five in the nation. It was crazy. And and the AD, athletic director, Wayne Wright from Pepperdine at the time, lived in Newbury Park. And he was reading this local paper about this women's team that just emerged and I got a call from him and he said, hey, would you be interested? We're starting a women's program at Pepperdine. Would you be interested in interviewing for it? And I said, okay. And, I, and the rest is history. We went there and they said, I, they said, at the end of the interview, they said, you really want to coach on the men's side, don't you? And I said, yes. So well, we'll have a men's team in about three years. You know, they still don't have a men's team there, as you know. And um, so when I went over there, I brought Tim Ward with me who was one of my former student-athletes. And, um, you know, Tim's still there, and um, he's done a great job, fantastic job. And Shelby was on the team when I was there. Um, so it's it's been a, a, a great journey, and they've, they've built that program out to a really strong program as well. 
Tell me what that was like, though. So you, you've done six years at Cal Lutheran, uh, and, and I guess this is where the the mindset of the professional coach and when we look at the professional game, but you've, you're at Cal Lutheran. It's probably a great lifestyle. You know that you have uh, a certain amount of job security. You're coaching the men and the women. You're, you're very, very successful. Why take the chance of going to a, a completely new program? Yeah, it was a big risk. Uh, it was a big jump. And um, there was a big risk, big opportunity also for failure, you know, and, um, I had I met with Steve Sampson. I sat down with Steve in in a restaurant, probably you're probably familiar with, um, um, in in Malibu, and and I asked him and I said, uh, Steve, you know, what do you think I should do? And he said, What do you want to do? I said, I want to coach Division One men on a Friday night. I want to beat a powerhouse team, and I even named the team at the time. And he said, Well, it's a lot easier going from Division One women to division one men than it is from division three to division one. And that was it. I sat down really agonized about it. My dad came out from Arizona. I had another friend that I talked to. There's about three people that I just, for like three or four days, we just talked, we hung out. My dad, I talked to Steve, I talked to several people and I made the decision to go. It was a really hard decision because I, I'd, I'd loved everything about division three, the non-scholarship, the kids being there because they love the game, not because of the scholarship. And um, I loved a lot of, of, about that, but I also saw the financial hardships of, of student-athletes not being able to have money to go to school and, and the costs rising. Pepperdine only had four scholarships, and um, gender equity kicked in. My, my, I, le- I left after the second year because the third year they, they weren't going to have men's soccer, and I had the opportunity to go to Irvine. And... Gender equity had just kicked in that year. I think it was the first or second year we beat UCLA and USC. It was, I think, the first team at Pepperdine at that time that had beaten two other schools. So they were really excited about it. But then, when gender equity kicked in, all those schools got full rights, school full scholarships, fully funded, and that really set us back um, as far as the opportunity to compete. And and I saw the kind of the writing on the wall. Now Pepperdine is up there. They have they they've matched the scholarships and those schools have matched it. But it was hard for the mid majors to compete against the big powerhouses because of the money aspect. And it's still to this day that with all the things that are happening with NIL and and uh, and the changes in the NC2A and the portal is is I mean you, I'm sure you've probably watched the Deion Sanders stuff and all the things that are transpiring with that. So that's a little bit of a reality show. That's what a lot of schools are dealing with, the haves and the have-nots. But, you know, then I had the opportunity to, to build that out. And the women, it, I did the same there. I had a I had a handbook that I put together. It was about 50 pages of preseason training. And this is what we're going to do. And, and the first day of tryouts, um, there was about 25, 30 players at student-athletes at Pepperdine. And after I gave them that booklet and ran through the first day of training, there was about 10 <laughs> because a lot of them joined because they thought it was just going to be a, you know, recreational. And this is division one. We're playing against Portland at that time. And they had Clive Charles there at the time and Tiffany Milbret, you know, uh, Shannon McMillan were both starters against the Portland team that I coached against. And then of course, Jerry Smith, Brandy Chastain at Santa Clara. Those were the two powerhouses in the conference at the time. We lost three two at Santa Clara, and they were 
you know, top 10. Portland was up there as well. I think we lost three, nothing. Um, but I mean, the stories that I have from those games are just fantastic. You know, waiting to be able to talk to the team, you have to wait outside the locker room till the, till the women are ready. And I had a female assistant to come in and give the pregame talk and, you walk out and they had people with flags and banners and skeleton and crossbones. They had a section in Portland that was just rabid. It was great experience, great, great um, setting. And um, our, our ladies were so nervous, I couldn't even get a speech in because they had to go to the restroom. So I had to keep walking out of the locker room. Just things like that I remember vividly. And then last thing I'll tell you is that the Pepperdine, there was a young lady. Her name was Nina. Uh, I got a call from the uh, women's tennis coach who needed a half scholarship to get the number one tennis player in Mexico. He had a half scholarship and I had four. So to give up a half scholarship out of four with a team of 20 some was hard. And his name was Gualberto, who was the tennis coach there. And I said, he called me and he said, I've got this soccer, this tennis player that's very good in soccer, played in the Swedish women's league, very good player. And I said, Gualberto, have you watched a lot of soccer football? And he said, he said, well, I know she's a great athlete. I think she'll help you. And I said, have her come out. She became the captain of our team. I gave him the half scholarship and she was a captain for two or three years. You know, when I was there and one year after, I think, and she was, then now she is, I think t teaching as a tennis pro was fantastic for us. So I was trying to get players everywhere, anywhere I could. And uh, it ended up that I was fortunate to get a few that were just ringers. Really, very good. Yeah, you certainly have to be uh, a magician in those in those early days, finding those little rough diamonds and polishing them up. So after Pepperdine, you uh, made the big step. You 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 got the position coaching men's soccer at UC Irvine, and uh, in the beginning, it, it was it was a little tough. So you've 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 started your coaching career, George, and, and you've been wildly successful. Now you go to to you know coach coaching the men D one. This is what you really want to do, but it's tough. Tell me what that was like in the in in the early stages when you're you know you, you're not having these winning records and 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 you're not competing in postseason. How did you how did you deal with that? And that was rough. Um, as you probably know, I had a I, I was doing so much in the Ventura County area. I had camps. I had like twelve camps going on at the same time. I had a store. I was I was director of coaching for Cal South. I was doing quite a bit. I was trying to juggle it all. And I, and I arrived at Irvine and it needed two feet in. And I remember during that time, it was a second or third, fourth year. Um, we were struggling. We were not doing great. Um, uh, my boss, the, who became the AD athletic director at UCLA, my boss who hired me, Dan Guerrero, um, brought me in the office and said, listen, you know, we're getting, we had decided at Cal South to make mandatory licensing. As you know, um, I brought it to the board and we made a decision to do, be the first in the country to make it mandatory for a coach to have a license to coach teams. And we were getting flooded with calls. I could, my phone at the university would not stop ringing because we had to license 40,000 coaches in a year. And I, I would go, I would drive to Cal South, you know, Placencia and, and was signing, was signing, you know, certificates. We didn't have a printer putting my name on. We were signing 
certificates, stacks and stacks. That would be my job. Go out to the fields on the weekends and then signing certificates. And so it became overwhelming, overwhelming. And, and I really had to hone in on the job. So um, I really focused on at, at that time at, at, at UCI on the men's side. And the, the thing about that was we had four scholarships. So we're competing in a, at that time was a conference that was called the MPSF, which was 17 schools. So when you have a conference of 17 schools, it's like the English Premier League. If you get to mid-year or mid-season and you don't have a lot of wins, you're out of it. You're completely out of it. You're not only the top four teams. At that time, we're talking about Washington, UCLA, Fullerton, you know, uh, all those teams. The WAC, it wasn't the WCC, but it was most of the teams that are now in the WAC, the Big West, and the Pac, whatever it is, Pac-5 now or Pac-12. So those were the teams. So to motivate guys mid-season, if you're not winning, you're not going to the tournament if you're not in the top two or three, four. Um, so it was very, very difficult with four scholarships to try to compete with schools like the Washingtons, the UCLA's, the San Diego States at that time was very good. Um, all these schools. So I really poured into that. And then we, we, our, our athletic director was a visionary and he did a great job at passing, getting, getting the students to engage in passing a referendum, which basically lit the soccer field built out a new baseball program, added volleyball, men's volleyball, added other sports, right? And by doing that, we had an influx of money, built a student rec center that is absolutely phenomenal. It even has a little indoor soccer field um, in that rec center at UCI. And when he did that, everything changed because then we became, we were more funded. I'd still, when I left UCI, Eight, seven, eight years ago, still not fully funded. Now it is, but we were we 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 raised uh, scholarships, and once we raised the scholarships, we started winning. We started getting better, and but we had no respectability. So, Brad Evans, who is a former national team player, played a recruiter out of high school. This Saturday is getting inducted into the UC Irvine Hall of Fame. He played at UCI for four years, never went to the NCAA tournament. Our last year, we were 14-4. and four. We thought we were going to the tournament. We even went to a hotel. We were have, It was all set up, and they started going over the, the um, NCAA selection, and we were devastated because San Diego State was picked over us, and we had beaten them. We were 14-4. and four. We had beaten UCSB that year 2-0 in our final game. They went on to win six games in a row and win a national championship. Brad Evans scored both of those goals. And Brad Evans never played in an NCAA tournament. And the last team that he beat went on to win the national championship. So we were all shocked with a 14-4 record, but our RPI wasn't high. And that's why we weren't, apparently we weren't selected. But then we, we, we gained respect because people knew that that, was, that shouldn't have happened. We should have been selected to that tournament. And the following, you know, in following years, then we started getting selected and doing bigger things. So it was a it was a, a metamorphosis to try to transition a school that had never been considered for the NCAA tournament into a, a soccer powerhouse. And I look back on those days, and and you know, we went to 
two Sweet Sixteens, and then the year after I left, Steve, Wol- I mean Chris Volk, went to a Sweet Sixteen with the same guys. Um, when I left uh, UCI, and, and I mean, just we had some really, really good teams, really good teams. Lost to Maryland, um, lost to um, uh, St. John's. Um, you know, close game, three two, I think, or two one. I mean, really good games, and. Um, very easily could have been doing a lead eight or a final four, but some good teams. Yeah, so that first five years, very tough. Uh, but then the new millennium kicks in and uh, the George Kuntz magic kicks in. Um, but you, you, you brought up an interesting point about you know the ranking system. And I, I think not many people really understand it because you know, I, I've had many conversations <laughs> with coaches who have had, you know, outstanding seasons and and not made the tournament how frustrating is the ranking system and 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 do you think it it, it is a viable way to judge a team's competitive ability absolutely not i i mean i'm sure there's a at one point at the nc2a committee the, the gentleman who does the whole ranking system came and spoke, and he was a genius. But that system doesn't take in, into account the West Coast very well. It takes into the – it crunches the numbers. Um, you know, the way, the way it all works is – I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a mathematician, but I think it's extremely unfair. And obviously I would like to see more teams in the tournament – there's 48 teams on the men, there's 64 on the women, but there's more women's teams. I just think it's very difficult for teams to get in from the West because we have less teams to play against on the West and we beat ourselves up. So we have to financially play our, 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 ourselves and we cannibalize our own schools by playing teams in other conferences. You lose to those teams and it hurts yourself in the RPI. You really have to go to out, uh, out of region and play good teams and knock somebody off to get somebody to open up their eyes, to get some awareness by the committee. It's very difficult. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak to coaches now and I'll say, hey, do you want to get a game? And they'll say, no, we have to get an out-of-region team. And these will be, you know, the Washingtons, the Stanfords, the UCLA's. Hey, we have to get an out-of-region team because, you know, their, their RPI is always going to be high in the Pac-5, Pac-12. But, you know, other schools are looking for those regional those regional rankings to knock somebody off on a, on a pole that's in a, in a higher, you know, region that they're, you know, and they're in the top 10 and they knock off on a one or two or three. So yes, I think it's very unfair and it's, I, I don't know if it'll ever change, you know, during my time, but it is something that really, <laughs> it, it's very confusing to coaches. It's always discussed at every convention and somebody always gets left out. And, you know, you see it in other sports too. Um, you see it in other sports, so not just in our sport. But I'll tell you that 2004, that 2008 year, when I was told by somebody on the committee, if you see San Diego State get in, you're in. That was somebody on the committee, and we saw San Diego State get in, and we didn't get in. And I'm there with my child and my, you know, my family and and all the players and all their families, and the people are crying. And we're all embarrassed, and we're walking out of that hotel just devastated. How can a team that's fourteen and four, even with a not a strong RPI, but beating a, a you know a Santa Barbara that team that went on to win it? Who knows? We didn't know at the time they were going to go on to win it all, but after the fact, people are saying there's no way 
that you should have been left out. I mean, this is a team that won it. You beat them 2 nothing at home. So, I mean, I brought it up because of Brad Evans, you know, that this weekend. And it's, a, it's, it's for a guy like that to never, ever have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. He still got drafted. But I think others would have been. We had four guys from that team get drafted. Four guys. So people knew. People knew that we had a good team. If I gave you a magic wand, George, how would you readjust this this system where by teams can get recognized and go to the tournament? Gosh, that's a hard one too. I mean, it, it, it's just the way the U.S. is set up. There's more schools on the east side of the country. It's top heavy on that side. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a tournament guy. I don't know how to, you know, build out the turn, you know, those tournament. There has to be a different formula based on, you know, not only wins and losses because that's hard with strength of schedule. You can play, you can play teams that are, and you have to be a little bit. There's nobody that's just a walk walk over, but you can play teams that might not be as difficult as playing going and playing a UConn and an Indiana and a Louisville. But we had to. To start getting recognition at UCI, we went and played Louisville and beat them there and played Indiana and drew against them to get people to go, okay, these are legit teams on the West. And we've been saying it in conference meetings too. So I think the, the solution is just for us to continue to try to play. Again, it, it's cost prohibitive now to take 30 guys to the east side of the country. It's 25 to 35 grand to get a team to go to the east coast. And you know, you may get may get one of those trips, but that may blow your whole, you know, travel budget. So, it's it's hard. We're paying schools to come in and play us. We're giving guarantees. So, to, the solution is, I mean, there would have to be a weighted, some type of weighted, um, you know, rankings on the West, where where some schools that have traditionally had the wins or 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 playing a strong schedule would, you know, it it, it would be similar to the RPI. But something that <clears throat> something that would display would also add in the wins against common opponents on the West. On the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, like you say, you do need to be a mathematician, or uh, we need to pour more money into soccer in the collegiate sports, and I think that's probably the way to go. Um, so it's it's interesting for me now. So. Here you are, you're at UC Irvine, you're wildly successful, coach of the year, taking your team to the NCAA tournament, you're winning the Big West tourney, and you make the move to Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> and in, 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 you know, in my mind, that's like you're the manager of Manchester United and you go to Manchester City. It just doesn't happen. So right. and a lot, a lot of people <laughs> said that. You know, tell me how that process worked because that must have been, I mean – you know, from uh, loyalties must have been split. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. People within the, the, the Southern California soccer community are going, what is George doing? How can he go from, you know, Irvine to Fullerton? These two these two schools are, are huge rivals. Yeah, yeah. It was, there's so much that went into it, Nick, um, but not a lot of people have heard the story. And I'll try to be as candid as I can. And you'll probably hear the story first here. Um, I, I loved everything about being at UCI, but as you, as you know, we weren't fully funded. We weren't. So we weren't at 9.9 scholarships. So we were, what we were doing there in, in final and rankings in the last four or five years, we won four big West tournaments. 
Nobody, even to this day, has won more than two. And we've been involved in seven. I think nobody in the Big West has won more than two Big West tournaments. So we were doing, it was smoke and mirrors, Nick. It was smoke and mirrors. And people were patting me on the back and saying, hey, this is great. And, and I was saying, no, we want to win a national championship. We want to win a national championship. We, to be able to win a national championship, my assistants were part-time. We weren't fully funded. We had, we, we had a, a tarp as a press box. We had a scoreboard that I had fundraised for, and it was an old scoreboard that was sometimes on and sometimes off. I mean, it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard. And, but the school was incredible. The kids were incredible. The people were trying very hard. The administrators were trying very hard, but you just can't find money. It just, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's a mid-major. And so in this business, it's either a referendum that's passed by the students to get more money or something from the gov governor and, or from the government. And it's just hard to happen to trickle down to athletics. So um, I'm flying home from playing against Zach Steffen, his freshman year at Maryland. Zach Steffen, as you know, you know who he is, but maybe some of the people on the broadcast may, may, may not know because he wasn't in this World Cup. He, he was one of the goalkeepers left out. Um, but Zach Steffen was a freshman at Maryland, and, and Sasha and I have been friends. Sasha, the coach at Maryland for years, and we're play, we play them and we lose, I think it was in one nothing, And we could have, we had chances to win. It was, they were a good team, but we lose one nothing. Zach Steffen had Mickey Mouse gloves on. I don't. They were so big. He pulled some out of the top bin. I mean, he he was phenomenal that night. I didn't even know who he was. Who is this kid? You know, he's six foot six, six foot five, big guy. Anyways, I think that was his only year <laughs> at Maryland, and he went on to play. You know, as you know, um, MLS and then Europe. And and um, I'm flying back. I didn't fly back with the team because I was going through um, family issue. And I flew back for, before the team. The team had to stay because we had flights back after. So they stayed and went around Washington, D.C. And I'm flying home, and I'm looking out the window of the airplane. And I had, wasn't even in the mix for the Fullerton job. And I was thinking, gosh, how are we going to be able to get over this hump? We need to be able to get over this hump. We can beat these teams, but we need more juice. We need some, We need more. And I flew home, and then talking with a local guy that's a, you know involved at Fullerton. He was involved in a club that I was working with. And he said, hey, would you be interested in that job? And I said, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Darth Vader to those guys. I'm Darth Vader. I can't go over there. And they'd never want me. And he goes, no, I think they'd be interested. And push comes to shove, I ended up in an interview. And I told my boss at, at, at UCI, and, and, you know, they weren't, he was like, well, if you think that's, you know, that's, you know, we've been, we had been beaten, beating them. And I, I'm not going to go into depth, but they didn't think too much of it. And then I got the offer. And long story short, I end up, at, I end up there. And as you know, the public, everybody was like, why, why? It was, you know, it was, everything was more. Everything was more. Uh, it was fully funded program. The stadium, as you've seen, is unbelievable. It's probably one of the best college stadiums in the country. Uh, you've probably just heard LA, LAFC is going to play their games there. LAFC 2, 14 home games there this fall, starting this spring. 
So LAFC will be there. We had international games there. Angel City played there last year with 12,000. Our women played against UCLA, 9,000. We've had pro games, Liga, Liga Mex games there. We've had, you know, it's an incredible stadium for soccer. And that was one of the big draws. Um, growing up with a father from Mexico City, played in Mexico City professionally, the Hispanic community there is massive and a big following for football. So that was another one for me. Um, but it was, it was fully funded. And, um, you know, the first year, long story short, we get to the Big West semifinal and we beat Riverside. And the reporter comes up to me and says, guess who you're playing in the final? <laughs> and we end up playing UC Irvine in the final the first year. So all the guys that I recruited and coached, I'm coaching against. And Cam Cameron Iwasa, who became the leading scorer forever at Sac United, was there. He's the, cap he's the captain at that point. And just some good players. And um, the night I asked the AD if we could go to a hotel the night before. He said, why? It's 15 minutes away. I said, we need to go to a hotel the night before. Just keep the guys sequestered. And then we have one hour on the field. And I told them, we walk in on the field at UCI. And I'm telling these guys what's going to you know, what's going to take place. And what I had done is put a 64-ounce Gatorade that I bought at a, like a 7-Eleven in a backpack. And um, at the end of the whole, you know, we have one hour on the field to bring everybody together. We're in the center circle. And I did it the same time as the game the next night. And I said, anybody been to a Big West tournament final? Only my assistant coach, Carlos Aguilar, who's now at San Diego State. Had. And I said, do you know what it feels like to hold a Big West tournament trophy? And ended up being that we took out the Gatorade. Everybody passed it around, kissed it, held it. And I said, okay, tomorrow night we're going to be holding the Big West Conference Tournament Trophy at the end of the game. And fortunately, that's what happened. Um, and the rest is history. You know, we built a little bit on that and we've tried to do better. Fantastic. I mean, what a great story and, 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 and what a great way to build some mindset of actually feeling what this trophy could look like, feeling the right. weight and, and imagining uh, what <laughs> that's story. like. Oh, it's, it's Feel brilliant. the weight, kiss it, hold it. And that's what they were doing, just like they did one. And then we walked around at the end, we walked into the center circle, and it was the exact same timing as the game would finish the night before. And I said, this is what we'll be doing tomorrow night. So their mindset going from, this is the bad news bears. This team had not been to the NCAA tournament in 14 years had not had a winning season in nine years and to turn around and beat the big West, you know, champion. <laughs> and, and I see all the guys that I coached. So it was a bittersweet feeling for me. The guys that I had coached are lying on the ground. I'm picking them up off the ground, hugging them and saying, Hey, they're going to the tournament. Anyway, they ended up going to the sweet 16 that year and losing to Providence, but it was an incredible feeling. Last question before I let you go. What are the, what are the qualities of a coach in the collegiate game? What are the, what are the best qualities? You know, I was at a high school game last night to recruiting games. I mean, two, two schools that can recruit private schools and, and some parents were there and they were talking about what the, you know, how difficult it is now for kids. We get a lot of international kids. The kids have to now come from a professional environment, meaning training professionally. So they have to have environments where they're growing as a student athlete, as a player, they have to, Coaches have to build environments where the training is the speed of play, the speed of thought is more difficult than a game, more difficult than a game. And if you're not creating that in training or guys aren't, 
you don't have players that are pushing each other to create that in training, it's going to be very hard to replicate that on a Saturday and Sunday. Of course, you don't have the, the game environment, but you have the training environment. So you have to have players that are professional in everything they do. You have to have, you know, you're going to need athletes. You're going to need very intelligent players. As you know, we talk about all the other stuff, the intelligence in the game. Uh, but the technical side, you know, working in the World Cup in 94 with, jo with Joseph Venglos, Dr. Joseph Venglos, every game in, in Rose Bowl, he said, the U.S., because I kept asking him this, what do we need in the U.S.? Technical, technical, technical. So the, you look at the kids that are in Europe and South America, they come here and you get a couple of the kids from 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 high high level academies, their technical level and tactical level is, is for the most part is above ours for the for the top level academies. But we're catching up. We're far. I mean, a lot of our, our players in the U.S. now are better than a lot of kids we're bringing over. So I've seen that tide turn dramatically. But we still have to get better on both the boys and the girls side because it's not we're not quite there yet. MLS next. You know, not quite there yet, Academy. We're not that quite there yet, ECNL. Because Nigeria women, 17s, just won. And they don't have their big academies and the parents paying for all their travel. And they don't have all that stuff. And they, be, they beat the U.S. recently, right? So we, we have to be better at finding those passionate players and getting coaches that can create the environments in training that they're just going to replicate on the weekend. So, you know, again, kids that are that are hungry, that desire the game, that are in, have an insatiable appetite to go train on their own and and watch the game, learn from the game, speed of play, speed of thought, technical level, tactical level. The mental side is huge now, as you know, huge. It's a big marketing piece to the game, but it, it is massive. Just believing. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we've done is working with uh, Jim Madrid, as you know did a lot of stuff with Jim for the 19 years. Just the mental side is getting players to believe that they can win. George Kuntz, head coach of Fullerton. Um, if there are coaches out there who want to get hold of you and, and discuss this beautiful game that you and I love, how, how can they do that? Uh, they can reach me at uh, uh, either my email at the university or you can reach me in my email at socdoc at cox.net or sockdoc is the, you know, is the, uh, I think the Twitter. Um, so, you know, they can reach me at the school. Um, I'm any coaches that want to come out and observe. We always try to keep, I want coaches to be, feel all access. If they want to come out and observe and spend some time with us, watch what we say and what we do with student athletes. They're always welcome. We always have coaches coming out and watching. Just to, there's a lot of young coaches. That's my goal in life is to help a lot of young coaches get where they want to go because a lot of people open the doors for me. So that's my goal is to try to help a lot of young coaches get involved in the game and, and do it better. Coaches, get down to Fullerton. Learn from the master. And for more on Cal South, you can always find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also find me at Nick Webster on Twitter. George Kuntz, thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. And uh, the best of luck in the spring season. Thank you for playing four pro teams this spring. Thank you, Nick, so much. And I really enjoy all the things that you do. Every time I hear your voice, you have a trademark voice. 
I hope you've trademarked. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I look forward to seeing you soon.